Welcome to Barnes University Radio. We're back with another episode um, of nothing. It's not assembling Titans. It's just us talking about football and talking about a few points from this past matchup versus the Chargers and just, you know, thoughts on the Tennessee Titans franchise in general, as well as a decision or maybe even the execution of a play that happens very often in the NFL. So stay tuned for that at the end. But starting off, um, you know, Victory Monday and, you know, the last episode of Assembling Titans recap on opponent scouting, the first part of our three-part series, we mentioned, you know, all of the accolades and all of the um, – you know, kudos and acknowledgement to the players and the people involved in that huge win versus the Chargers. Um, You know, guys such as Ryan Tannehill, um, you know, Derrick Henry, that offensive line, the receivers, the defense as a whole, um, Jeffrey Simmons coming back, Kevin Byard, um, you know, Wesley Woodyard, um, Logan Ryan, you know, all of these players that played an exceptional game, um, we are, we've already stated how well they played and, you know, deservingly so they've gotten the recognition. Another player that's not getting recognition on that play is Rashawn Evans, uh, who basically, you know, it was basically three or four players who kind of definitely helped make the play. Obviously, Jeffrey Simmons on the last play getting penetration, you know, pushing his player back. Um, the the forced fumble by Wesley Woodyard and then the recovery by Jarrell Casey. But nobody's talking about Rashawn Evans screaming up and basically stopping the momentum of, momentum of Melvin Gordon as well. And he does that a lot. He's I think if you look at the Tennessee Titans defense in terms of ceiling, A lot of what Rashawn Evans does is off of instinct and just using his speed. You talk about a ceiling of a player, and and I've already mentioned this. Rashawn Evans, his ceiling is extremely high once, you know, all of the football IQ is put together. And I already know he already has a high football IQ and he's very coachable. But just moving forward, you know, the more years you put in this league, the smarter you get. And that's going to be freakish once he, you know, puts it all together. Now, moving forward from that game, it's over. You know, you know, I don't really even consider this a 24-hour rule with the Chargers. I'm already looking at Tampa Bay. We've, you know, they've been on prime time a few times. Been, we've been able to see this team play, um, and we've heard enough rumors, good and bad, about this team. Um, but just moving forward, before I even start talking about the Buccaneers, which is probably going to be a little bit later, is – you know, to bring some um, a reality check towards the success of the Tennessee Titans. And it's something that most people don't really recognize or notice. Since December 2nd of last year, since December 2nd of 2018, the Tennessee Titans victories have come against non-playoff teams. Um. Teams that are below average at this point, they've lost one game to a below average team, but every loss have, has come against 
good football teams who win. Um, and if you remember last year's big, bigger victories versus the Eagles, um, versus the Cowboys before they really got going on it before the Cowboys really got it going and the Patriots, you know, right before their bye week, um, the Titans have not defeated a playoff caliber team since defeating the Patriots last year. That's a statistic that nobody's talking about. They've literally lost against every um, above average team since defeating the Patriots last year. Um, their run to even get into playoff conversation last year, Derrick Henry's uh miraculous um, stretch of him running the football successfully was all done versus poor run defense teams or poor teams in general. You look at the wins this year uh, versus Atlanta and the Chargers more recently versus poor defenses, probably one of the worst in the league. And statistically, uh, personnel-wise and all, their other victory in a season opener versus the Browns was versus a team that very talented on paper, but new, new chemistry. We all knew that chemistry was going to play a part. And if you're going to beat a team like the Browns, you, you want to beat them. You're going to beat them early uh, as opposed to when things start clicking, when the personnel matches up and evens out. So it's something to, um, to keep in mind that this Tennessee Titans team can beat teams that they're supposed to beat at a 90% rate, 90 plus percent rate. It's the teams that they're not supposed to beat that we have to see more consistency with. I don't think the consistency comes from winning several games in a row. The consistency comes from getting better and rising to the level of competition because a lot of people, like, we're very fickle. We're very week-to-week. Yeah, and I think with this year in general, there's just been this very week-to-week fickle type of in- energy, you know, do-or-die type of energy where we win, everything's good, and that's how it's supposed to be. But there's really no perspective. There's really no, like, um, middle ground or reality to it all, at least with the fan base. Because at this point, this is a type of team, the Tennessee Titans, that are better. They're the best average team in the league. They might be the best average team ever. Like when we talk about middle of the pack team, the Tennessee Titans are probably the best middle of the pack team in history of the NFL. Whether it's always picking 16th in the draft or always being ranked 16th in the middle, dead center of the league. Just that they're the best average team that might upset the, the, you know, the defending Super Bowl champions or 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 the eventual Super Bowl champions. But they'll lose to, you know, the Denver Broncos and not have a single point scored, Um, you know. So just from that perspective, how do you get better and how do you win those type of games more consistently? I've already said it's it's roster engineering. It's having players you can coach the hell out of, you know pretty average players um you can coach the hell out of them and they'll beat the teams that they're supposed to beat but when you go up against elite talent when you go up against elite talent you have to have players that are elite as well that make up for certain deficiencies or mistakes the Tennessee Titans 
don't yet have that. But, you know, and that's fine and dandy. Like, there is a separation between being a fan and creating a certain type of energy, right? The Tennessee Titans just won a game. We should be happy, right? We were happy. We've given the kudos. We've saluted everybody that we're supposed to salute. And we want to build off of uh, positive momentum and keeping that momentum and belief going. That's the culture that you're spitting to your team. But when it comes down to longevity and, and moving forward, how do you get this current team to beat teams that they're not supposed to beat, to beat elite teams, to beat the Buffalo Bills who have a great defense right now and an, an, an assortment of weapons on offense, um, you know, and to beat the the Indianapolis Colts who have a great offensive game plan and a great quarterback and, and a pretty sound defense. How do you beat those type of teams? Um, and that's where the Tennessee Titans have to graduate and become. And it's going to be it's going to come from um, having the type of players that can execute in those moments. So it's yet to be seen. Um, you know, they play against a uh, solid defensive opponent, especially versus the run in the Buc- uh, the Buccaneers that's coming to Nashville. Uh, so they they get a challenge defensively from a team that's going to do their best to shut off one part of the uh, of their offense. And then as far as their pass offense, they have a great pass rusher in Shaquille Barrett and great supporting cast in terms of getting to the quarterback as a whole. So just from that standpoint, the Tennessee Titans offense will now finally face a collective bad team record wise and performance, especially this last performance. But they 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 play a team that has a strength and that strength is stopping the run. So now the Tennessee Titans will be forced to pass. But then once you're forced to pass, you're going up against. At this point, an elite pass rusher, uh, an elite interior defensive line, and okay secondary players. Very pesky and aggressive, but I wouldn't say their secondary is elite. So that's the challenge for the Tennessee Titans offense. It's something that, yes, that they haven't necessarily faced this year. Yes, they haven't faced, but it's something that, are they going to graduate and find a way to still prevail? Um, no excuses that it's only Ryan Tannehill's second start. You know, I'm already debunking that excuse. Um, no excuses um, that, you know, they just can't win two games consecutively. Because when you flip the script and look at that offense, you know, Jameis Winston is, prop, is the 31st ranked quarterback on third down conversions. He's not doing well on third down either. He just threw five interceptions um, a, a couple weeks ago. Um, he has weapons. He force feeds it to Chris Godwin. Uh, and, you know, he obviously has Mike Evans and O.J. Howard, a, a solid offensive line, not elite. So there's an opportunity for the Titans strength to really eat and really to impose their will on a offensive group that can be feast or famine so it's going to be a big test come going you know this Sunday versus the Buccaneers and I'm just excited to see you know that result because I'm watching the responses of so many Titans fans in this Chargers game like having a heart attack and heart racing 
And I remember a game like that would have me extremely nervous, but I, this was probably the most even kill and, you know, to some degree numb or emotionless I've ever been for a game. We ended up winning it, obviously, but it was just really like a game to where I knew the Titans were going to win somehow, some way. It was a, an ultimate confidence, um, you know, and uh, I think just for me, like I understand that the letdown of Titans fans after a big win. So it's going to be a test to see can they get it together. Um, they have the co- capability to continually beat these type of teams, but do they have the capacity in game halftime and second half to defeat a team that's going to be tricky to defeat? It's going to probably be, you know, a fist fight back and forth, especially if it's, you know, a rainy game, um, which might be the weather forecast for Sunday. If it's a rainy, slow type of game like that, it could be a slug fest. Um, If it's sunny, saner heads prevail and say the Tennessee Titans defense will 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 show up moving on to the second aspect of this podcast that I wanted to certainly talk about was the draft pick that is Jeffrey Simmons obviously it's the your first is his first game his first game as a pro he he's you know scored a 90.7 a PFF grade um you know, which is astounding, you know, I think, you know, his new nickname should be Cyborg. Um, and and I'm just thinking about that draft pick because here at, you know, Barnes University, Assembling Titans, you know, we we watched over 400 prospects. And, you know, Jeffrey Simmons through tape was ranked um, or tied number one with Quinnen Williams. And Quinnen Williams was obviously gone early. And a lot of people coveted guys like Christian Wilkins, which he was lower on our board and stuff like that. And Jerry Tillery got taken a little bit after Simmons. You know, we at Barnes University, we did select Jerry Tillery simply because of the separation between Quentin Williams and Jerry, uh, Jeffrey Simmons was was a, a significant drop because Tillery was our number two. Or basically our number three once you really break it down. And one of the reasons why we picked Tillery was because of his versatility and his ability to play even really at the end position, which, you know, I think right now the Tennessee Titans had before they released Brent Urban, they had him there. Um they've been incorporating Austin Johnson there, Matt Dickerson there. So he's really more of a five technique when you once once it you know, you all, you know, work it out, attacking the outside shoulder of the guard. Um, but one of the things about that and one of and the reason why it's J-Rob's most cunning um, draft pick and even more so than his, you know, him becoming a general manager and trading away the first, you know, the first overall pick for so many draft picks, because once you actually look at that, because, you know, a lot of give and take here that I'm about to say, would you actually look at the, the picks accumulated? You know, it could have been, a you know, a whole full out, you know, home run. But really, once you look at those picks, I mean, what he actually did with the picks was he got Derrick Henry. And that's really it. 
he got Derrick Henry and he got a, a a draft pick number eight overall in Jack Conklin, who had a great rookie season but has not progressed at right tackle. Probably should have moved to guard, but we're not going to talk about that again. But so really, even more so than trading away the one, number one overall pick, which most teams covet, so it's not like it's that difficult to do. He didn't necessarily knock it out the park on every draft pick. So that's why it's not the most cunning move. The most cunning move is getting a top 10 talent, arguably a top five talented defensive tackle at the number 18 or number 19 overall selection. Basically 18 teams and, you know, a few teams who had a defensive tackle need skipped over Jeffrey Simmons because of an knee injury suffered at the time what three months prior two months prior three two to three months prior um also you know i don't know what these teams think did they take him off of the board because of the the pr madness that would be because you know the things that jeffrey simmons had done beforehand it's on video it's a bad visual the tennessee titans were able to get over that for one they did their homework for two and for three, they obviously had in either inside information about his, you know, his road to recovery or they didn't care. So that's why I think it's it's very simple. Hey, easy to take a top five, top 10 talented defensive tackle and just wait. But at the end of the day, they cashed in. And that's cunning because 18 other teams didn't didn't do that. And a, a handful to a few who had defensive tackle needs. Didn't do that, including myself. And of course, I'm I'm someone that's obviously at home. I'm doing my research. I'm asking around, but I don't have the access to know that type of information. If I knew that he was even one month ahead of schedule, then I would have taken him. I thought it was going to be a good nine, ten, almost a year before he got back. Like most ACL injuries are. You know, I know that athletes and training and stuff like that is healing them a lot faster, but I thought it was going to be a wash. And and I'm I work and I build teams season to season. You know, their late round picks or steals or like teams that I, you know, draft and stash type of players, those are the type of players that I think about the future and years to come, but I'm th- I'm t- I understand that I have to win and this is my mentality as a whole. I, I want to win now. Like, it's always win now. It's always trying to get players that can win us games immediately. And Jerry Tillery would have provided uh, instant production simply because he was healthy. But if I had known, you know, Jerry, I mean, Jeffrey Simmons was ahead of schedule. And I'm going to be honest, diving deeper into, um, you know, the past situation, getting over the PR, because it's such a visual thing that's going to be on the Internet forever. So it's just something that the, you have to give kudos to that type of homework. Like I said, it's a very simple. It might seem simple to other people, but it's still very cunning. It's, and to this day, it's one of the more cunning. It's his most cunning draft pick. And it's up there with Jayon Brown, because obviously that's. There's no doubt about it. He discovered Jayon Brown from watching tape on Miles Jack. I, that's that's no question about it. And a year later, he drafted him. There's no doubt about it. He more than likely discovered Jayon Brown from looking at Miles Jack tape. So it's it's him, him and Jayon Brown is one of the more cunning 
um, draft picks that he's done. So it's something that you can learn from, right, to try to gain more clarity and really look at a position of need. Like, I knew that I was going to take defensive tackle. To me, Jeffrey Simmons was an afterthought so much. I really thought he was a second-round pick or a late first simply because of the injury and then some teams who may have taken them off the board. I don't know. There might be one or two, you know, who may have taken them off their boards altogether because of the PR madness that might have surrounded selecting him. But, yeah, teams, for those that don't think that, teams care about PR. A lot of teams care about PR and perception. Yeah, I think it's ridiculous at times, but they really do care about that. You know, certain players that I really like don't even have a chance to get into the NFL uh, because of certain decisions they made, um, you know, in the past. So, which is unfortunate, you know, it's kind of funny because you get, you pick and choose who you allow in the NFL based on their talent level you you and then because of their talent level you try harder to get to know them as a person so if you discredit a person as you know maybe being a marginal talent or maybe not as elite as a Jeffrey Simmons then you miss out on the part to even getting to know the player as a person and uh, I just think the Tennessee I mean that I just I just find it to be a cunning move in retrospect obviously because Jeffrey Simmons initially went from being either out for the season because of not recovering from the ACL injury or the knee injury um, to maybe four games to now possibly playing in 10 games. It's just a total thing that only this is where from being a, a, a independent scout and being on the outside looking in to be completely frank is information that you would never know. But had I known that information, of course, we would have drafted Jeffrey Simmons here at Barnes University. If if he if the prognosis was out six games, he'd be able to play ten. Absolutely, you draft him. But the the notion was he'd either be out for the year or only get to play in three or four games. That's not enough. 2019 impact to me, because guess what? As good as Jeffrey Simmons is, there'll be another Jeffrey Simmons next year and the year after. And there were free agents like Ndamukong Sue at the time that you could have acquired that would supplement that. So, you know, just giving kudos to a fellow talent evaluator and it being a great move. In closing, we're going to talk about the fourth down decision that Mike Vrabel had to face and going for it with the quarterback sneak. And something that every team and the people who my great fans and my loyal fans or fan... <laughs> who who watched this uh, or uh, listened to this podcast is when you're the most clear and decisive way to convert a quarterback sneak is the quarterback sneak in which you lean forward and have a clear path, lean forward and have a clear path in getting the first down. That is the best possible way um, to to make it extremely visible and to leave all doubt you know you know outside of the world you know you want it to be as extremely visual in terms of when you convert a fourth down when you get pinned up very rarely do they give you the benefit of the doubt on a fourth down decision 
Ryan Tannehill was in a situation where it really looked more so like a goal line stand for the Chargers on end because they pinned up Ryan Tannehill to where you don't know where the football is. And I thought as fans and people who's been covering the football uh you know football for a long time is it's almost common sense if you can't see the football as a officiating group they're not going to just guess and say that he did have it although at times you may see that but it to me there was no point in challenging either because it didn't make sense to challenge it why would you challenge it if you couldn't even see where the ball was exactly so it's a situation where we look at it and in the future, it's a play that you want your quarterback to be moving forward. So picking a a hole or a gap to kind of just burrow through as opposed to standing up and trying to put the ball over as if it's a goal line situation as opposed to getting the fourth, the fourth down conversion, you know, at the middle of the field. Um, what would I do, have done in that situation? Um, I would have probably either punted it or ran a different play. Um, and that's easy to say. It's something that Mike Vrabel likes to say. People, he doesn't have the luxury to think back over it, blah, blah, blah. Um, but in the moment, in the heat of the moment, I was feeling to go for it more than punt. And it really just depended on the confidence in the play call from my OC, um, and really, that's really it. When I look at it, I'm thinking QB sneak. It's only a couple inches. You know, I know that there's a specific way that you have to get it, you know, to be visual. visual. You have to burrow as, as opposed to st- getting stood up. You kind of have to burrow and fall forward. That's the best way to get a great spot. A la Jacoby Brissett getting it versus us. Uh, you know, week two, week three, whenever we play them, week two. So that's a learning and teaching tool for people who go forward on fourth down. It's better to borrow and, and lean forward and be go- moving forward as opposed to getting stood up in that uh, scenario. Punting it to, to with the best punter in the league to Phillip Rivers, there's a good chance that he was going to get it in, inside the 20. Um Inside the 10 even and just going the the length of the football field with that defense. I think the Tennessee Titans would have won either way. But, you know, if he would have converted it, you continue to get first downs and you run out the clock. So either way in this game versus the opponent, that's why analytics don't necessarily matter. Because your defense, to me, the Tennessee Titans defense, because of the weak link on the offensive line for the Chargers, the advantage is the Tennessee Titans defense, regardless of the quarterback. Um, especially in that game, the flow of the game, how things have been happening. Um, even if you go for it, you get it, you have the you have the confidence that you'll run out the clock. If the Tennessee Titans converted, the Chargers would have never gotten the ball again. That's the type of game that it was, understanding the flow of the game. Um, had the Titans got stopped, which was the reality of it, you have confidence in their defense. Now, I certainly thought that Phillip Rivers would get to the point to where, you know, he would at least tie the game with a field goal. But they got so close, they were really in limbo and really, you know, in a position to win it. So 
Um, in no in no case, the, if the Tennessee Titans lost that game, it would be probably one of the most, just like it's one of the best Titans wins in history, top 20, it would have been one of the worst losses as well as the Chargers have given us for, you know, for years. So just from that perspective, either way, based off the flow, this is where human nature comes into play. And uh, it's not one of those plays where you kind of credit. At times, you're like, the balance between being gutsy and being smart sometimes is not as equilibrium, especially on this 2019 Titans. It's not as ideal as you'd like. But in this case, going forward, I would say it was probably a 60 to 70 percent, if not 80 percent likelihood to win. You know, it almost goes to 100 percent if conversion, if not conversion, it's still a high percentage to win based on your defense and um, at least forcing a field goal. So with that being said, that's really all I had to say. Just some 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 random tidbits, miscellaneous miscellaneous tidbits about this Tennessee Titans team football in general. Um Thanks for, for thanks for listening. And uh Barnes University, you already know what it is.